Tonight, we are covering the subject, Revelations, Rebirth and Renewal. When you uh, consider all the things that are happening today around the globe, you realize that something is about to happen. People are anticipating um, something to take place. And I can say that uh, among the Buddhists, the uh, Christians, in many different areas, people are anticipating something about to take place. They don't know what it is, but there's a great anticipation. And that's interesting because that's exactly the way it was just prior to Christ coming. People sensed that there was something great about to take place. And it did. And so it will again. And tonight as we study this subject, I'd like you to join me again in prayer. Father, as we consider your word, we recognize that spiritual things are spiritually discerned. And so please guide our minds, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Revelation introduces us into a scene that reveals a multitude that no man can number. That the 144,000, yes, are, are a special group, but that there's a group that is so large that no man can number. And it says, after this I beheld and lo, a great multitude, which what? No man could number of all nations and kindreds and tongues and people. I think most of us have no difficulty counting 144,000. All you have to do is put 144, comma, 000. That's 144,000. But the Bible is speaking about a number which no man can number, which means then that there's a great, great multitude that will be in the kingdom. God did not send his son to give his blood just to save a few. God saved his son to give his blood to save as many as can be saved. And I'm glad for that. What do you say? So rather than fearing that we may not make it, let's take hope and believe that we can. Because the Bible reveals the great multitude. Now listen, it says uh, a very nation, kindred, tongue, and people. The Bible reveals here that there's a multitude of all nations, kindred, tongues, and people. And that is good news. What do you say? All of us are included in that. And it says that they stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with what? White robes and palms in their hands. White robes and palms in their hands. White represents purity. Palm represents victory. So these uh, are people who have been taken from the earth and they're in the presence of the, the throne, which means they are there with God the Father and the Son, and they have gained the victory over sin. I'm glad to know that there is victory over sin. What do you say? Sometimes we fear and think, oh, how am I going to make it with all the problems that I have? Well, with man, this is not possible, but with God, all things are possible. How many? 
all things. And so we need to take courage because God has given us over 3,500 promises in the Bible. How many? Over 3,500 promises in the Bible. And he says that all his promises are yea, yea, and amen, amen. So if he gives promises, what we need to do is claim and believe them. Then it's one of the elders answered saying unto me, what are these which are arrayed in white raiments and whence came they? And the answer is, I look unto him, sir, thou knowest. And he said to me, these are they which came out of great tribulation and have what? Washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. They have washed their robes and made them what? White in the blood of the lamb. Now you and I know that if you put blood on white, it doesn't make the white turn white. So you must then look at this as symbolic as what? symbolic. It represents then that there's a washing that takes place because of the giving of the blood of Christ. And so let's study that tonight because the Bible says unto him that loved us and what? And washed us from our sins in his blood. Now there's a young man there baptizing a little young man. By the way, that's in Iceland. In where? in Iceland. And even though it was winter time, because the water was warm, it was uh, nice and toasty to get in that water. In fact, there was kind of vapor going up. And uh, this young uh, lad and his sister, which was older, wanted to be baptized. They asked me, Pastor, we would like to be baptized. So after spending time with them, it was a pleasure to baptize them. Today, both of them are, in fact, he is doing a master's degree right now, and the sister has become a fine pianist. So it's good to know that you can encourage young people along the way. What do you say? That they can commit their lives to God. But notice it says, and washed us from our sins in his own blood. In the New Testament, uh, washing is called baptism. What is it called? Baptism. And the question that I pose here is how important is it for a person to be born of water or be what baptized now most of us who have read the scriptures know that baptism is in the new testament but most of us who read the scriptures don't find baptism in the old testament and you may ask why why is it that there's no baptism in the old testament and there is in the new testament there's a reason for that when when nicodemus came to christ by night Jesus made it plain to Nicodemus that there had to be a change. You, you see, Nicodemus was a master in Israel. He was a religious man, but he was not yet had encountered the spiritual life that he needed. And when Jesus says, you must be born again, without that you cannot see the kingdom of heaven, uh, Nicodemus was kind of... Uh, he didn't appreciate Jesus' words. And he simply retorted with, what do you mean, must I go back to my mother's womb and come back out again? Jesus recognized that the man did not understand, and so he said again, uh, you must be born again. Except the man be born of what? Water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So what's interesting about those two passages is this. 
without spiritual sight, there is no entrance. Without what? Spiritual sight, there is no entrance. It says you must be born. Without being born, you cannot see the kingdom of God. So, there are many people who are strangers to divine influences. They may be religious in, in terms of going to church and practicing certain rites, etc. But they have not yet come to the place where they have experienced a change of heart through the power of Christ and the Holy Spirit. So they maintain themselves as religious people. And sometimes people believe that being religious, it saves you. But being religious does not save you. Being converted is what saves you. And all of us must experience that change of heart. Now, I should hasten to say this, that there are some people who grow up in the, the faith who can never point to the time when they were converted. But I could remember the actual time and, and uh, experience of being confronted by the, the realization that I was lost and I needed to know God. For that prior to that, I was godless. But there are people who are born in a Christian setting and they grow up and can never point to that experience. And the question is, are they converted? The answer is, conversion is demonstrated by the fruits. By what? By the fruits. My mother-in-law, bless her heart, she was born in China to missionary parents. And she told me, she said, that I've always loved the, the Lord. I've never had any desire to go out over Fool's Hill and do the wrong thing. I've always wanted to do the right thing. And so uh, she lived and she was 97 years old. But in all her life that I knew her, all she wanted to do was serve the Lord, do something for the Lord, she had loved the Lord, and that was her life. Do you understand what I'm saying? So you couldn't, she couldn't remember. She said, I can't remember when I had any uh, experience like that, but I do know that I love God. Is that possible? What do you say? But whether you have the conversion in the moment or you don't, the Bible says you must be washed. You must be what? You must be washed. So let's consider then how important this washing is. Uh, when Jesus uh, was going to do the Passover night with the disciples, it says that he uh, got up from supper, laid aside his outer garments. It doesn't use the word outer, but that's what took place. And took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with towel wherewith he was girded. As he was going around, he came to a fellow named Peter. What's his name? Peter. He was about to wash Peter's feet, and Peter did not appreciate that. So in the book of John 13, verse 6 and 7, uh, the Bible reveals then that as he came to Peter, uh, Peter asked a question. Does thou wash my feet? That's in verse 6. Do you see that? Do you have your Bibles open? Verse 6. Notice it says, then cometh he to Simon Peter, and, and Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Well, Jesus answered and said, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. 
You don't understand what I'm doing, but it'll come to you afterwards. Obviously, Peter did not understand what Jesus intended to do for him. And so, rather than submitting, he simply said, Thou shalt never wash my feet. What did he say? You shall what? Never wash my feet. And Jesus responded and said what? If I wash thee not, thou hast how much? No part. Our friends, I never want to hear that from the, from the Lord. Thou hast no part with me. Well, you know the Savior, and you know how good it is uh, to think that he would not have any part with me. It's just like death. And so when he said that to Peter, it must have shocked them into his senses. And Peter then responded and said, not my feet alone, but my whole what? My whole body. And Jesus simply said, he that is washed needeth not to save, uh, save but wash his feet. But in every whit you are clean, but not all. And so Jesus said to the Peter, you don't have to be completely washed because you've already been washed. So notice that word. I'm saying notice that word because washing was an essential practice in the Old Testament. In what? In the Old Testament. Did you know that the Jews always wash or baptize people? Did you know that? The reason you don't find the word baptism in the Old Testament is because it's a Greek word. Just like you don't find English words in German. You find, uh, you find English, uh, you find German words in English, but you don't find English words in German, unless, you know, it, after a while the Germans couldn't speak uh, German and they spoke English. But generally speaking, Greek and Hebrew are completely separate languages. And you will not find the word baptism in the Old Testament because it was written in what language? Hebrew, okay. But people then assume that because the word does not appear there, that baptism was not done in the Old Testament. And it's since we're dealing with washing, because it said that they washed their clothing or their robes in the what? The blood of the Lamb. Then we need to understand where did that come from and how did that develop to the point where the Bible reveals that those that are in the kingdom have been washed. Have been what? Which suggests something interesting. And that is that washing is essential. Washing is what? Essential. And it was done in the Old Testament. Jews who, according to the law of Moses, became ritually defiled by contact with a corpse had to use the mikvah before being allowed to participate in the Holy Temple. Immersion is required for the converts to Judaism as part of their conversion. In other words, if you were going to become a Jew and you were not a Jew, you had to be baptized. But it doesn't use the word baptized. It just simply uses the term washing or what? Cleansing. How many of you knew that, that baptism was done by the Jews? Did you know that? Some of you kind of half raise your hand between, oh, maybe. The reality is that 
Baptism has always been practiced by Jews. Baptism, because it was practiced by Jews, came into the New Testament by Jews. What race was John the Baptist? It was a Jew. Why was this Jew dunking people in the water? Because it's already an established practice. Okay? So, when God called people to follow him, one of the things that God always requested was washing. Was what? Washing. If you notice in Genesis 35, verse 1 through 4, it said, God said unto Jacob, Arise, go to Bethel, and dwell there, and make there an altar unto God that appeared unto thee when thou fledest from the face of Esau thy brother. Jacob had fled after he had deceived his father and took the birthright, and he knew he was in trouble. But God appeared in mercy in Bethel and showed them that ladder touching the heaven and down to where he was. Remember that? And then God said that I'll be with you. And Jacob then when he woke up said, I did not know that this was God's place. And then he said, if you will be with me wherever I go, I will return unto you my tithe. And so Jacob went to Haran where he met his wife uh, or two wives and came back. And as he was coming back with all the flocks and everything else, he feared for his life because he heard that his brother was coming to kill him. Well, that particular event uh, did not occur. That is, that he did not die because God met him on the way and said, Jacob, one of the things you need to do is go back to Bethel before you meet up with your brother. And I want you to go there and uh, make an altar. Make a what? Make an altar. An altar for the purpose of worshiping. What's, it, what's the purpose? Worshiping. So in Genesis 35, verse 2 and 3, it says, And Jacob said unto his household, and to all that were with him, Put away the what? Put away the strange gods that are among you, and be clean, and do what? And change your garments. And let us arise and go to Bethel. By the way, the word Bethel means the dwelling of God, or the house of God. And I will make there an altar unto God who answered me the day of my distress and was with me in the way which I went. So there were three things. How many? There were three things that the family and those that worked with Jacob had to do if they were going to present themselves before God. And that was number one, put away the strange God because the first commandment says what? Thou shalt have what? No other God before me. So if we're going to go to God, the first thing we need to understand is that we must be willing to put aside our gods, whatever they are. And today you know that people can make a god of, out of anything. And so then the second thing they were to do was to wash. And the third thing they were to do was to change your, your garments. In other words, the rope in the, in, the, in the book of Revelation represented the character of those who were saved. The what? That now they had the likeness of Christ by wearing a white robe. So their old robe was changed with or by a new robe. The righteousness of Christ. And that is found in Revelation 19 and verse 10. It is the righteousness of saints. Okay. So the, the Bible then reveals that they gave unto Jacob all the strange gods which were in their hand. And all their earrings which were in their ears. And Jacob hid them under the oak, which was by Shechem. 
And then, of course, they wash and they change their apparel. When the, the Lord spoke to Moses then, uh, that he was going to meet with the people, here again you find something interesting. Go unto the people and sanctify them today and tomorrow and let them do what? Wash their clothes and be ready against the third day. For the third day the Lord will come down in the sight of all the people upon Mount Sinai. Obviously then God intended that his people understood that they were coming to stand before a holy God. And since they were going to stand before a holy God, they needed to be washed. They needed to what? To be washed. So, David, when David sinned and he realized his awful uh, failure in what he did, his prayer is registered in Psalms 51, verse 2 and 7, which says, Wash me what? Thoroughly from my iniquity. And do what? Cleanse me from my sin. Purge me with hyssop. I shall be clean. Wash me. And I shall be what? Whiter than snow. David understood that there was a washing that needed to take place if he was going to be restored back into relationship with God, who he had offended by, by performing that terrible sin that he did in murdering the husband of Bathsheba and then, of course, committing adultery with her. Obviously then, this idea of washing and cleansing is part of the Jewish experience. Can you see that? And can you see that the term that they use is what? Wash and cleanse. Do you see that? But do they understand that it has to do with a spiritual cleansing? What do you say? Yes. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. So when the Jews washed, when the priests were going to officiate in the sanctuary, they had to wash. They could not just go into the sanctuary without washing. Washing was an essential aspect of the spiritual life of those who sought to serve God. And yes, ma'am. Huh? It's like a soap. All right. It, uh, uh, have you ever washed your hand in water? Okay, and then use soap. And then the same hands you take and take soap and wash them again, and you see that dirt comes off? All right, because what happens is with the hyssop or with the soap, it actually attaches to the dirt. Without it, the dirt still is attached to your skin. All right, so in medical profession, before you actually go in and do something, or every time you see a patient, you're supposed to do what, doctors? Wash your hands, all right? So there's still filth on you, even though you don't see it. All you have to do is take hyssop or soap and put it on your hands, and you'll see dirt coming out. Have you, any of you seen that? Yes or no? I, I learned that by the hard way from my mother. She sent me in to wash my, my hands, and I just wet them and uh, dried them on the towel. And uh, she came in there and saw my paw prints on the towel. And she said, uh, you need to wash your hands. I said, I did. She said, no, you didn't. I said, what do you mean, Mom? She said, soap and water, she said. And that was it. And if I did not do that, she had sharp nails, and all she had to do was pinch the earlobe, and I did whatever she wanted me to do. 
Okay, so anyway, if you see then, washing is an essential aspect. And so, what is the significance of being baptized then, or being washed? Well, let's study it. First of all, baptism or washing in the biblical sense, and in particularly the New Testament, it represents the, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. What does it represent? The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. Let me show you from Romans chapter 6. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus were baptized into his what? Into his death. Next verse it says, Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should also walk in what? Newness of life. So there's a, a death, there's a burial, and there's a resurrection. Now the reason why the Bible uh, uses that, that terminology and Paul is using it is because many people today uh, celebrate Easter to remember the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. However, this may be shocking to you, there's no place in the Bible suggesting that we should do that. The only ceremony in the Bible written there to help us to remember the death, the resurrection, the burial and the resurrection of Christ is baptism. Not Easter. Now, I'm not saying by that that people can't celebrate Easter. But Easter was not the biblical ordinance that God gave to remember the death, the burial and the resurrection of Christ. In fact, I hate to say this to you, maybe this will be shocking, but most of what takes place on Easter has nothing to do with the Bible. Did you know that? But the egg really was not part of the, the crucifixion, neither, neither was a bunny. Those were introduced later on because they were pagan symbols that were attached to the Christian faith. In those pagan symbols, the egg represented fertility and the bunny represented multiplication. Okay? So it had nothing to do with the cross. It had to do with the pagans who believed that on Easter was the time when the goddess Ishtar uh, brought about life again to the earth. And the way they practiced it was by having orgies, open orgies in the streets. And the two symbols that they used was the egg and the bunny. Now you know the rest of the story. All right? So, listen. The reality is this, that if the enemy can lead people to substitute what God has ordained, he will do so. To lead people to think that they're pleasing God when in reality they're only following what man has ordained. And those of us who believe in the scriptures must return back to the scriptures and in order to please God, follow what the scriptures have said to demonstrate that we believe that, number one, it is a, his book. Number two, that it, there are his ordinances. And number three, that we not only believe in them, but follow them. Would you say amen to that? And so... Uh, the death, the burial, and the resurrection. That's why when a person is baptized, 
Number one, they hold their breath, representing death. Then they're placed in the water, representing burial. Then they come up out of the water, representing resurrection. Do you understand? That's why God ordained it that way. Now, let's continue. Uh, the death, the burial, and the resurrection were all symbolized by baptism, or as the Jews would say, washing. Uh, a lot of excavations have been made in uh, the Holy Land and in many synagogues, and uh, to their surprise, they discovered that through the ages, uh, the Jews actually had baptismal fo uh, fonts so that people could be baptized. And if you were going to be a proselyte, and that means somebody who changes their faith, you had to be baptized into the Jewish faith. You could not just say, I believe, and that's it, and come into the Jewish faith. You had to be baptized into it. Because baptism then was used as a door into the new faith. Does that make sense to you? All right. Now, for as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have what? Have put on Christ. So when a person by faith recognizes that their life has not been in harmony with God's will, and that they want to renew their relationship with God, or establish a relationship with God, they then accept that they need to be washed. They need to be what? Wash. And I'm thankful for that, because when I became converted, the thing I wanted to do the most was to get rid of all the filth that I had in my life. And I asked the pastor, I want to be baptized. He said, you need to take Bible studies. Well, he did not know that I was pretty illiterate. You can be popular and be illiterate. You know that, right? Okay, so I was pretty illiterate. My reading level was about C-spot run. And if you don't believe me, ask my wife. She'll tell you the letters that she got from me. All right, so I asked the pastor, I said... I want to be baptized. He said, well, you need to take Bible studies. And when I saw the stack of Bible studies that he had, I thought, oh my, that will take me the millennium to study all that. Because when I saw the first word in the first lesson, was I could read Daniel and two, you understand? And then it had a name of a king. And for me in those days, that was a $50 word. I couldn't read it. Now I could say Nebuchadnezzar, but in those days I didn't know what it was. It was Greek to me. So I said, look, pastor, I have left everything behind. I have forsaken everything. I, I uh, am, am totally, totally convinced that God is real and I want to serve him. He could see the change in my life. He could see the fact that I have left them behind. And then he recognized that even though I had not studied, that my understanding had been quickened by the Spirit of God to follow those things that otherwise I would have studied. And when he saw that my life was in harmony with that, which I was going to have to study anyway, he said, okay. And I said, I'll, I promise you I'll study for the rest of my life. And so I'm keeping the promise. I'm still studying. Now, notice it says that when a person is baptized, he puts on who? Christ. That means he puts on the righteousness of Christ. 
His whole life has passed away. His whole sinful life has passed away. I'm so thankful. Folk, look, I'm glad that in an instant God can wash away the sins of a lifetime. What do you say? If you and I had to remember everything that we did in order to be baptized, we would all be hopeless because there's no way, shape, or form that we could remember every single evil thing that we've done. Is that true? There's no way, shape, or form. And so I'm thankful that God is willing to this simple ceremony to wash the pass away so that I could start a clean record with the master. I tell you, when I was baptized, uh, I don't know why I didn't jump out of the baptistry. I, I felt like I had to keep reverent, you understand? But I wanted to jump up and down. Praise God, I'm finally clean. Amen. Well, listen. When the Jews who were devout, who were what? Devout came to Jerusalem to, to do their ceremonies. The Bible says that they were devout people from all, all over the world and proselytes. And so when they got convicted that they were responsible for crucifying the Messiah, which Peter said, you are responsible for crucifying the Messiah. When they realized that they were, they were responsible, even though they didn't physically do it, but when they realized that they were responsible because of their sins for the death of the Son of God, they said, men and brethren, what shall we do? You can read that in verse 37 if you're following me. And Peter's response was what? Repent and we what? Be baptized. Think about it, folk. Pious, devout Jews were rebaptized. For what? If a pious Jew can be rebaptized, then anybody should be a candidate as well. Listen, what about baby baptism? How many of you were baptized as babies? You don't know that. You were told that. Because <laughs> I could raise my hand too. I know my mother said I was baptized, and the only proof I had was a baptismal certificate. How many of you have a baptismal certificate? Some of you still have it? Mine is so old, I have to protect it. But I still have it. Now, let me explain this to you. Many people believe that that is baptism. But if you remember that the pious Jews had to repent and be baptized. So I had a gentleman that I was talking to, and he said, uh, uh, I don't need to be baptized. I said, why not? He said, because I was baptized as a baby. And I said to him, you must have repented of your sins then. He said, repent? I said, yes. You said you were baptized. And according to the Bible, it says repent and be baptized. So you must have repented. He said, he said, no, I was a baby. I don't even remember being baptized. I said, that's the point. I said, the reality is that they have taught people that that's baptism. But in reality, the Bible does not support that. Let me explain it to you why, okay? Uh, Jesus said, go ye therefore and do what? And teach how many? Teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Notice that it says, go and teach and do what? Baptizing. So in order for you to be baptized, you need to be taught. But can a baby be taught? What's the answer? No. 
Now, I, 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 I had a, uh, an experience with a bishop, a Catholic bishop, who had never heard this presentation before because they don't, they don't really study the Bible. They, they're, they're taught philosophy, psychology, and rites or rituals. And so when he heard the presentation about baptism, he acknowledged that he really then hadn't been baptized. And so then he requested baptism. His name was Bishop Fridali from Manhattan in New York City. And so I remember when we came to the baptismal service that he wanted to be baptized. I remember that all the priests came, all his priest friends. He invited them to come to celebrate his birthday. And it was going to be his birthday on the day that he chose to be baptized. And so the priest came. I remember one of the priests had a placard that they brought secretly to honor him for all the work he had done for the church for all these lives. He was about 69 years old at the time. And Fridali then got up and said, uh, I'm so glad that all you friends want to be with me for my birthday. But he said, I, I, I want to explain something to you. I invited you to celebrate my new birthday. And so everybody was wondering, what's he talking about? He said, according to the Bible, it says you must be born again. And it says, honestly, even though I've been a bishop, I never experienced being born again before. And therefore, even though my parents loved me and did what they thought was best for me in sprinkling me, in reality, I did not participate with that. And the Bible says that you have to repent and be baptized and be taught. And I was not taught as a baby. I didn't repent as a baby. I didn't know who Jesus was as a baby. And baptism is the way that you demonstrate publicly that you accept Christ as your Savior. So he said, I never done that before. So today you've come to celebrate my new birthday, he said. And so then he went into the baptistry and was baptized. I'll tell you, those priests uh, were kind of shocked with a bishop recognizing his need of being washed. But listen, it doesn't matter what people think. What matters is what God thinks. What do you say? If the Lord encourages us to follow him, then we should follow him. Would you say amen to that? Yes. So the, the Bible says be baptized, therefore you must uh, repent. There was a, one of my students in the Philippines was doing a series of, of lectures like this, and he, and he presented the subject of baptism. And uh, one of the ladies that he thought uh, should experience baptism didn't want to get baptized. She loved the meeting. She loved learning the Bible. She loved everything. And she even loved this young man. He was a wonderful young man. And today he's a pastor in, in uh, Detroit, Michigan. But uh, he was just pulling his hair out. He couldn't. He said, I, I've done everything. I, I showed her the Bible. I showed her the text and all that. But she keeps on saying, I don't need to get baptized. I, I was baptized as a baby. So one day he came to visit her, and the puppy that she had was dead. Some vehicle had run it over. And so when he came to her, she was weeping that she lost her puppy. So he got an idea, and he said, I'm so sorry about your puppy. Uh, what are you going to do? She said, I'm going to have to bury it. Okay, well, let's take a few grains of salt and uh, of sand and, and drop it on it and bury it. She said, no, you have to dig a hole and put it in, in the hole. And when she said that, all of a sudden, bing, 
She said, you have to be buried. Yes. When is your next baptism? Well, it's going to come this coming weekend. I plan to be there. All of a sudden, she understood that dropping a few grains of sand was not sufficient. You have to be okay, washing. You see, it's interesting that when you consider what the Bible says, it says that a, for by one spirit are we all baptized into one what? Into one body. Whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we bond or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. But the Bible teaches us this, that being baptized is not being baptized into something ethereal. The Bible calls the body the church. The what? His church. So what you need to do is find out which body is the body of Christ. Because every church, every denomination says that they're the body of Christ. Right? You hear what I'm saying? It becomes confusing then. The Lutherans say that they're the body of Christ. The Catholic says that they're the body of Christ. The Baptist says that they're the body of Christ. The Jehovah Witnesses say they're the body of Christ. The Mormons say they're the body of Christ. Everybody's the body of Christ. Obviously, Christ doesn't have so many bodies. He must have one body because he says that there will be one shepherd and one what? And one fold. So it behooves us to find out the true faith. The what? The true faith. That is why Paul wrote, there's one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. In other words, one true Lord, one true faith, and one true baptism. And the reason why that was mentioned is because of the enemy's attempt to create all sorts of ceremonies that would lead people to think that they're actually following God, when in reality, they're following man-made ordinances. We must come back to that which the Bible reveals. What do you say? Sometimes uh, people wonder why John the Baptist was baptizing. Well, what's interesting is this, is that nobody asked John, why are you dunking people in the water? The Bible just simply introduces us into the John with baptizing in the Jordan, correct? But it doesn't say where baptizing comes from. Because everybody already knew what baptism represented. When they said, what shall we do? Repent and be baptized. Nobody said, why are you dunking people in the water, John? What does this mean? There was no question like that. Why? Because they already knew. The Ethiopian eunuch who was met by Philip, and he said, there's much water here. What would keep him from being baptized? Well, again, that particular eunuch, wanted to be put in the water. And so that's why uh, Paul also baptized people. And by the way, Paul practiced rebaptism. What did he practice? Rebaptism. Now, how do I know that? Paul is the one that wrote one Lord, one faith, one baptism, correct? So if he meant only one time that you could be baptized, then he wouldn't have done this. He met some people on the way to uh, Ephesus. And he found disciples in Acts chapter 19. And so uh, he said unto them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much heard whether there be what? Any Holy Ghost. Interesting. John the Baptist's disciples did not know that there was any Holy Spirit. When John himself, himself said, 
The one upon whom the Holy Ghost will come in the form of a dove, it is he. So, here's what happens many times, folks. If you go back into the Lutheran faith, you'll find that what the Lutherans practiced earlier was somewhat different than what the Lutherans are practicing today. Okay? If you go back, for example, how many of you have heard of St. Patrick? What was he famous for? How many of you are Irish? Any Irish here? What was he famous for? Driving the snakes out of Ireland, and what else? That's it. You know what's interesting? Is that he was a Sabbath keeper. He believed in the seventh-day Sabbath, and he was a vegetarian. How many Irish are Sabbath keepers and vegetarians? Huh? Where did they come up with the idea that they chased all the snakes out of Ireland? It was just a story made up about a great man who loved God and who had a burden for the Irish people and brought to them what he understood to be the gospel. Do you understand? If he chased anything on our island, it would have been the devil, not serpents. And so the Bible then shows here that these disciples, though they had been disciples of John the Baptist, had forgotten or did not know about the Holy Ghost. And then he asked them the question, until then were you baptized? And they said, unto what? Unto John's baptism. So these people were disciples. They had been baptized by John's baptism, but they lacked understanding. They lacked what? Understanding. And this happens in many cases. Many people go to churches and they believe in God. They want to follow God, but they lack understanding. And so when John, when Paul found these disciples and he discovered that they didn't understand, he taught them. And then the Bible says that he baptized them. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of what? Of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were what? They were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. You see, it was, it was significant for a Jew to accept Jesus as the Messiah. And that's why the emphasis is over and over given in, in the New Testament, being baptized in Jesus. It is simply because it's Jews who are being baptized primarily. What are they? Even the Ethiopian eunuch, if you read very carefully, he was in Jerusalem worshiping. He was an Ethiopian Jew. He was a eunuch, which means then that he must have been a slave taken to Ethiopia. And somehow, like Daniel, who also was a eunuch, was placed up in a high position in Ethiopia, like Daniel was in Babylon. But he came to Jerusalem to worship. And on the way back, he's reading the Bible. He doesn't understand what he's reading. Philip then instructs him. And then the Ethiopian eunuch simply says, there's much water here. What would keep me from being baptized? And so he was baptized. And so he was rebaptized. Paul rebaptized these people who were disciples but did not understand. When they received new understanding, they were baptized. So it says, the life figure whereunto even baptism does also now what? Save. God gives us all the privilege and opportunity to come to him. If we have fallen away from him, we need to renew our relationship with him. 
He's a God of second chances. What do you say? He is willing to accept you if you're willing to come to him. Wash me, as David said. Cleanse me. Purify me. Make me clean. Our friends, listen. God makes the provision, but you may accept it. You must accept it. What do you say? How many of you today sense the need of being washed and, and would like to raise your hand and say, by God's grace, I would like to be washed. Any of you would like to raise your hands. I have been washed before and I want to be washed again. Sometimes we hesitate, as I did when I got the call. I can tell you I sat there and I was sitting in the back row and I began to tremble as the pastor was making the appeal. And I didn't know why I was trembling, but my teeth began to chatter even though it was warm in the sanctuary. And all of a sudden I realized this is of the devil. He doesn't want me to respond. So you know what I did? I just threw myself up on my feet. And when I threw myself up on my feet, the chill left me. The warmth of the Lord came over me. And I walked up to the front and I've never been the same, nor have I ever looked back. The Lord wants us to be washed. He wants to do it for you, but we must desire it. What do you say? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, you have heard the appeal from me to them, and you know his heart. And I pray, Father, that those who sense their need to be washed will simply just simply accept it and make the choice to allow Jesus to cleanse them so that they can be among that great multitude that no man can number. We thank you for hearing us in Jesus' name. Amen.
Tu me propuxou 